0: Hello everyone, this is Richard Beatty, and today Dr. James Spencer and I will be digging into the useful to God rudiments as outlined by D.L. Moody and lived out by Moody. James, what is the concept of usefulness and how is it relevant for the church today?
1: So as I think about the concept of usefulness, I really think about it in two major pieces, accessibility and preparation. Accessibility really implies that we need to be available for God's use. And this would entail things like not being um, so ingrained in achieving our own goals and pursuing our own agendas and looking at our own issues uh, that we are unavailable to do what God would have us do. In other words, uh, we want to make sure that we are uh, following God in his way, that we are open to the, the things that he wants us to do as opposed to being so stuck in our own sort of path that we're unwilling to look beyond our specific goals and our specific agendas to really listen and be sensitive to where God is prompting us to go. So that accessibility part is pretty important. And um, I think we cultivate that accessibility through, you know, things like Bible reading, like prayer, um, actually taking the time away from our own agenda to spend time with the Lord, whether that be, like I said, through Bible study or prayer, fasting, Sabbath, you, you name it. Those disciplines um, aren't just techniques for us to relax or, or you know, ways for us to uh, enjoy life to its fullest. They are intended to connect us to God in some really um, important ways. And I think one of those ways is for us to be accessible to hearing from God where he would have us go. So he's constantly pushing and prodding and, and shaping our passions and desires through the Holy Spirit. And as we allow that to happen, as we really arrange our lives so that it happens, that allows us to be accessible. So being useful is in part about being accessible. The other part of being useful, I think, is about being prepared. And when we think about being prepared, um, yes, it certainly entails you know, knowing things. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes we mistake preparation though, with just academic degrees. And I would tell you that after I finished uh, a lot of my academic work, I don't know that I was really prepared to be useful. I knew a lot of things, but it took some time for me to really, um, experience God in a way that that knowledge became more than just propositional or something that I, you know, I knew this about God, I knew that God was omniscient. I knew that God was omnipotent. I knew that I was supposed to X, Y, Z. And I think through practice and participation with God, that that preparation then became, um, I became more accustomed to following God and doing his will. And there's an excellent passage that would suggest this. Um, It's actually in Jeremiah 13, 23. And um, God is, is speaking to some folks who have been doing some not great things. And he says this, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you as well can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. And the point of that, that accustomed to doing evil idea is that it's one who has learned to do evil or one who has been taught to do evil. In other words, their their patterns of life are ingrained in this doing of evil. And so it's very difficult for them to do good. It's almost like an inertia kicks in and what you're accustomed to, you just sort of begin to fall into. And so part of our preparation is, you know, learning the Bible, knowing what it is, understanding you know, what that is, doing these little practices. But I think a lot of it, we ought to think about preparation as becoming accustomed to doing good, becoming accustomed to doing what God wants us to do. And uh, so that's that's sort of the basics of usefulness. Now, I will say this uh, as well. I think that um, in context, when we're looking at how to figure out what it looks like to become accustomed to doing good, part of what we should do is follow Jesus's example. And in Matthew six, where Jesus is really instructing his disciples, he instructs them on almsgiving, prayer and fasting. And what he does in those three little sections in Matthew six is he talks through uh, a negative practice that he sees, a deformed practice that usually the religious leaders are doing or someone else is doing in, in public. Um, he, he talks about the Gentiles in prayer, and then he corrects that practice. So in other words, he says, don't do this like the Pharisees and scribes. Don't do this like the Gentiles, but do this. And he's constantly looking at his context and saying, how is it that my disciples are in danger? Of seeing models of practice that would lead them away from me, and then what do they need to do instead of that in order to be patterned after uh, my life and in my image and imitating where I want them to go? And I think this is something that we don't do as well in our contemporary under you know our contemporary attempts to become useful or to be disciples, and uh, and we need to. We need to be looking out at the world and asking ourselves, what is it about this practice that the world is doing, or maybe even that, you know, some of our religious leaders are doing, that just doesn't feel like it's patterned after Christ, that is deforming a practice that we need to connect with God. And in each one of those in in Matthew 6, there's almost always something about, you know, they're they're giving their alms in public so that they can be, um, you know, they can enhance their social standing. Prayer is done in public so that people will see them being prayerful. Um, you know, fasting—they they look all haggard as they're fasting, so that people know that they're fasting. And the real point is that these practices are not to be self-serving. And so I think that as we sort of bridge into our context and we think about what it means to be useful, we need to be accessible. We need to be prepared. And to do that, we need to be building patterns into our lives that allow us to imitate Christ, but then also sort of evaluating critically the patterns that we see in the world so that we can create counter-practices that will form us into the image of Christ.
0: Moody's quoted as saying, If I know my own heart today, I would rather die than live as I once did, a mere nominal Christian, and not used by God in building up his kingdom. It seems a poor, empty life to live for the sake of self. Let us seek to be useful. Let us seek to be vessels for the master's use that God, the Holy Spirit, may shine fully through us. I can think of several ways that this idea of living purposefully uh, resounds in a culture that is losing its identity— has a loss of purpose and calling driven so many into a self centeredness that we're losing ourselves? And how is that different than becoming less of me and Christ increasing in me?
1: Well, I, I certainly think that there is sort of a um, a, a gentleman named John Verbake, who had a pretty successful um, series of lectures on YouTube, has argued that we are in the midst of a meaning crisis. John Verbeke is not a Christian, but what he sees is that without a a center where people have uh, handles that they can hold on to and say, this is other than me and I need to relate to it in important ways. And um, he argues that there is this meaning crisis in our culture. And I would say that it certainly has to do with a general lack of um, willingness to engage outside of ourselves. In other words, think of it like this. There's a couple different ways to solve a problem, but we think about it on a spectrum. We could say uh, everybody needs to be exactly the same and then everyone would get along perfectly. Or we could say that everybody's differences simply need to be um, coexisting together And there needs to be no friction and no, no exclusion. And everybody just needs to be able to do whatever it is that they want to do. We usually exist somewhere in the middle of that, right? Where we don't want total anarchy. Like we don't want people, just individuals deciding who they're going to be and how they're going to be and what exactly that means for them because they don't interact or they don't live in isolation. They interact with us. And so, there's a sense of responsibility where meaning is not created and sort of put upon the world. Meaning is created as we interact with one another. And so, from a Christian perspective, what we, what we add into it is God as a social actor. In fact, I would say God as the social actor, the most prominent, relevant actor and factor in any situation. And so as Christians, what we're seeing is not just our interactions with one another, our interactions with creation. We're also seeing it in terms of our interactions with the creator who is ever present. And so as Moody talks about this idea of, a you know, an empty life to live for the sake of self, I think he's right on. And I think we're starting to experience part of that now, because as we try to determine meaning on our own terms... Apart from anything else or anyone else, we sort of begin to detach ourselves from our social environment. And and that's, I think, untenable. I think it's never going to actually work because we are one we're physical beings. We always interact in a sort of physical fashion with the world around us, but also we're social beings. In other words, we have to get along. There have to be conventions among us so that we can sort of communicate and interact. And and so that there's some level of convention and stability within our worlds where we can interact and work and produce meaning together. And so, uh, Yeah, I think that as the culture is starting to drive toward radical choice, we are going to see more and more people in despair, would be my guess. We're going to see more and more people floundering. And just as Moody says, it is going to feel like a poor and empty life that is lived for the sake of self.
0: Well, and and since the average household has more Bibles than cars, you you wonder why and and how are we as a culture uh, really biblically illiterate we don't we don't crack it open
1: well i think there's a couple problems here um and and i i do not profess to be an expert on this but i'll give you my my perspective on it is that um we're suffering from a critical mass of syncretism Syncretism is a fancy theological word um, that's used when we try to combine different things and make them inextricably bound together when they should not be combined. And I think that part of the challenge with uh, our biblically illiterate culture is that people think that somehow understanding a Judeo-Christian ethic or, um, vaguely remembering the 10 commandments or living a generally moral life where we don't kill anyone. We don't steal from anyone. We don't, you know, um, we don't rob our companies, those kind of things are biblical notions. And that may, they may align with the Bible. I tend to think about it in terms of, you know, being Bible adjacent. And I think a lot of things in our culture are Bible adjacent, Right but they're not biblically aligned. In other words, there's a deeper sense that we get when we truly read scripture and we understand the patterns that it is asking to produce in our lives, that we are supposed to live on a particular cadence in a particular way. And so to me, the dearth of biblical literacy um, that we often see has to do not just with not reading the Bible, but also with substituting reading the Bible with sort of vague and generic notions of what it means to live a good life. And I think when we do that, we not only rob ourselves of biblical literacy, we also rob ourselves of really understanding and experiencing God. Because to experience God, we have to be obedient to his word. And if we don't know his word, um, it's going to be very difficult for us to test God through our obedience.
0: Well, and as Moody says, when we know our Bible, then it is then it is then when God can use us. That begs the question, though, can we be useful to God if we don't know the Bible?
1: I think we have to know parts of the Bible deeply. You know, in the, in the context of all of Moody's teachings, he does talk about, you know, um, not feeling bad about spending a month on one passage. And so what he's talking about here when he talks about knowledge of the Bible is not necessarily any one thing, right? Uh, I think he doesn't mean an exhaustive knowledge of the Bible. But what I think he's really getting at here is until we know our Bible's sufficient to drive us to our knees in repentance and to press us toward obedience to God's word, we won't be useful to God.
0: And he he further further says, (laughs) During the years that I have been privileged to labor for God, I have strongly and increasingly felt that the task of arousing Christians to a deeper sense of their responsibility is even a more important task than that of a simple evangelist. James, is Moody saying that it is our responsibility to awaken our communities to living out the gospel?
1: That's definitely part of what he's doing here. This is actually a quote from the preface to a book that he wrote entitled um, To the Work, To the Work, Exhortations to Christians. And so he goes on to talk about it is better for it is better to have a 100 doing the work rather than one doing the work. And so what part of what Moody's ministry really was about was in emboldening the church to do what it was supposed to do. And to act as it was supposed to act. He was an evangelist. There's no doubt about that. D.L. Moody was an evangelist. He went out and shared the gospel. Some estimates say 100 million people in his lifetime. But I think that his real passion ultimately became producing other workers who could do that alongside him. He knew that whatever, you know, however many people he reached, it was a fraction of the people that could be reached. If he had a 100 useful other folks around him or a 1,000 other useful folks around him or 10,000 other useful folks around him, he understood the power of those numbers. And he wanted the church to be an empowered sort of entity that would go out and actually do this. And so, if you if you take a look at things like the handbook for the Northfield Seminary, or um, and and the Mount Herman School, Northfield Seminary for girls was a school that D.L. Moody founded in uh, Northfield, Massachusetts. Mount Herman School was founded just in a town over, and it was for boys. And these were schools that were intended to educate young men and women to be useful to God. Um, They talked about in terms of Christian usefulness. And so um, a portion of this is where he writes something like, um, you know, in the handbook, you find this, it says, the motive presented for the pursuit of an education is the power it confers for Christian life and usefulness, not the means it affords to social distinction or to the gratification of selfish ambition. And so the goal here was that these were discipleship academies. They definitely, the the students who graduated definitely earned social distinction. It wasn't like the education was just strictly biblical, but the Bible remained at the the foundation of everything that D.L. Moody did. And what he recognized was that if you're not going to be useful to God, if you're not going to understand these concepts and really truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you achieve.
0: Yeah. Um, As an educator, as as you are, uh, training is really what transforms community, not for some kind of status or a diploma on the wall, but for being in the business of saving lives. Uh, Should we be in triage mode?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we should to some degree. Um, I, I think that, you know, as we watch what's happening in our world Uh, What I would say is we're in a situation where um, we have really leaned on and on certain institutions to get our our next generation trained and prepared to serve the Lord. And I think those institutions have done a a good job um, to a large degree. But I think we're at a point where we are seeing some of those institutions beginning to fray along the edges and uh, we may need to um, start asking ourselves are the institutions that we have currently really going to last us for the next decade or century and do the job that we need them to do which is producing strong disciples strong discerning useful disciples for jesus christ who are able to sort of move in and out of of culture um and to be salt and light And, and so you know, I, I love this this quote in in Deal Moody again in the handbook. It he, Moody didn't write this, but um, it, it's in the handbook for the Northfield Seminary Mount Hermon School. It says this: His Moody's attention was called to the opportunity presented of reaching the young people of the place, imbuing them with an enthusiasm for Bible study and waking them up to lives of Christian, Christian usefulness.
0: Really like that idea, and and yet I think so many of us have it in reverse. Each discipline, whether it's history, language, science, math, or the arts, are subjects that were created and instituted by God. Yet, the very thing that divides so many are the things that we are united in. The psychologist who is a Christian, the linguist who is a missionary, the archaeologist, who is a theologian, or the artist who understands where his or her gift comes from. All who understand the Bible as history, as literature, as archaeology, and as genres in poetics, parables, ethics, psychology, and counsel. How do we begin to fit the discipline into the biblical as opposed to fitting the biblical into the discipline?
1: Well, one of the things is I've sort of talked with other schools about how to do sort of what what's often referred to as faith integration. One of the things I encourage them to do is not to try to weave the Bible in and through all the disciplines, or not simply to do that is probably the better way to say it. Um, But instead, to explore the limits of the disciplines. So, just take history for instance. Um, History uh, runs largely on probability, and plausibility. And it's rooted in evidences that we can observe as we look into the past. We're constantly making decisions about what's relevant and what's not relevant, but ultimately history can't really tell us much about God because God exists in a realm of the unseen. And so even as we teach these disciplines, there each of the d- disciplines has their limits. And as we explore these intellectual sort of spheres and go through what are important disciplinary processes to do so, what we just have to recognize is that we're always getting a piece of the picture that is going to need to be supplemented by theology and biblical studies.
0: When we uh, when we come back to uh, this subject, we will um, we'll be talking about a couple of things. Uh, you know, I think education is so important, and, and you know, we've talked about it. We're starting to go through conversations that Dr. James Spencer outlined when we uh, began Useful to God on radio and podcast. And with that, I'm looking forward to finishing the production of the digital audiobook version of Useful to God by Dr. James Spencer. We have been brainstorming on ways to make this audiobook an interactive course. After each chapter, There are discussion questions, and James and I are inviting our listeners to send us an email if you would like to be part of an interactive discussion. Uh, Each week, you get a link to a digital audio chapter with a link to a live discussion with James and me. At the end of the eight-week course, you will get a full audiobook, the e-book, and an audio pass to Useful to God weekly talks with Dr. James Spencer. For a suggested donation of $20 a month, or if you prefer $100 a year, they get a little bit of discount there, send that email to UsefulToGodRadio at gmail.com. For other renewable resources, visit UsefulToGod.org. I'm Richard Beattie, and for Dr. James Spencer, have a great and useful week. Before we go, here's the latest addition to Becoming Useful to God. Welcome to Becoming Useful to God with Dr. James Spencer. I'm Richard Beattie. James D.L. Moody once said, God does not use men in captivity. What did he mean by that?
1: Dwight Moody often expressed the concern that significant number of Christians were saved but not useful. To illustrate what he means by captivity, he points to Lazarus who, after Jesus resurrects him, comes out of his tomb with his feet and hands bound. In that moment, Lazarus is alive but not particularly useful. Moody believed that many Christians are similarly bound. They are alive, but the criticisms of others, social pressures, apathy, or an unwillingness to pray for the power to do God's work holds them back from being useful. If we want to be useful to God, we need to cultivate a desire not to avoid suffering by shirking our responsibility to proclaim the gospel in word and deed, but to find joy in the trials we face, knowing that they will strengthen our faith.
0: Find out how you can become more useful to God by visiting usefultogod.org.